me, Peter Smith. How are you all? Hoping that you're enjoying the sun as much as we are, because even though you might be coming to this at December, at the moment it is June and it is absolutely yeah. boiling. And for people of uh, a certain age like ourselves, uh, 27, you'll be able to uh, <laughs> understand when we say that this is the weather that you used to get in the 70s and 80s. It is. So it looks like it's actually done that full circle that we always talk about, that myth that we always say, that fable, that story that people think is a lie when we say the 80s and the 70s had the weather like this in summer. It did. And actually, this is the only time where, in spite of the fact that I am somebody who cares about our environment, if this is the impact of global warming and it can just stay at this level so that we get sun from you know June, May, June till September, yeah. then I'm okay with this level. Yeah. Let's stop here because I don't want it to get any hotter and I don't want it to get any wetter. Yeah. But from a Mancunian's perspective, this is bang on. Yeah. So what am I then if you're a Mancunian? Solvernian. Well, no, because I'm half half now, aren't I? Saltcunian. <laughs> Smogcunian. Smoggy from Middlesbrough. Even though you're half in salt, but we're a Smogcunian. Smogcunian. Yeah. There we go. Seagullcunian. Seacunian. What if you're not to? Me? I've been... I've been gardening. <laughs> I'm also preparing for the drought that's going to, uh, for the foreseeable drought that's coming. Is this the thing, though, that we've reached middle age because at the end of the day, you're really exciting by gardening products and I like anything yeah. that makes my house smell nice. I've planted some vegetables with my parents. <laughs> Do you remember those days where you used to get up like, on a Thursday and you'd be like, right, it's basically the weekend now. Yeah. And then you'd like get back from work and then you'd be at the pub and then you literally wouldn't stop. You'd crawl into work on a Friday and be like, and then you'd go through the whole weekend awake and then you'd get to Monday morning and just walk in stinking yeah. bags those, and booze yeah. and you'd just be like get through Monday I remember I ate a lot of Jammy Dodgers yeah. and that was kind of your whole thing just like survive Monday and then you'd be fine yeah. then Thursday you'd be like bang on and yeah. it's like that's, that's when you were working before that it was every night and the problem with me was that partying became my my job so I was a professional partier so what happens is you start partying on a Thursday and then you party through till Wednesday <laughs> <laughs> and then you sort of realize that like oh it's that's weekend tomorrow and you're back on it again <coughs> you know and you won't spell out with your wife when you were married because you went to the shop before you not you obviously. yeah yeah not this wife Another wife. We're interchangeable. But you went to the shop and didn't come back because you went and got a sausage roll. Right, but. okay. <laughs> so there was, yeah, it was Friday evening. We'd been out, the usual parties, everyone we'd gone, gone back to go back. And I just still felt like going out still. So it was six o'clock in the morning. And I said, I'm going to the shop for a sausage roll or whatever I was going to do. I walked out and saw a few friends walking past. They were going down the back end of a beach park that was down there. So... I went down there and did that, and yeah, didn't go on for a few days. In hindsight, yeah, pretty. pretty what pretty were the consequences out. though when you returned home? Yeah, uh, quite, quite bad, really. Yeah, it's like you know, screaming and throwing records out of the window. Yeah, yeah, I've had that before. Yeah, <laughs> I've had various sort of, you know, I think I should have been single. Really, I never did anything like untoward, like you know, sleep with anybody else. Cause I'm a loyal, I'm loyal me. You know, I'm one of those loyal fellas, but. The lull of the sausage roll in the party is too much for yeah, you to bear. I think I was into DJing and, and you know, <laughs> sort of vinyl and music and partying came first. And I think 
I shouldn't have really been in a relationship with anybody except for myself. I can genuinely, yeah. genuinely remember we've had this conversation before. I don't know whether we've had it on the podcast, but I, at every single party, would just end up inevitably in the person who owned the house's bed. Asleep. I would just find the bed. I'd be like checking it out about two o'clock and be thinking, right, everybody's straggling yeah. now. And I think I need to get some shut eye. And I would just go up and I would just lie on the bed and just be several of us all lay on the bed spooning each other strangers. Yeah. It didn't matter. See, I was a person that would be like running in going, no one's going to sleep. No one's going to sleep. Let's get it all down. Let's go and get this. And then it'll be like five o'clock in the morning. It's like, when's the shop open? Bottle of vodka time. Like, we'll go on and get a bottle of vodka. And then we'd play like, you know, vodka can, in the eye. I can remember. Oh, like, my God. I can remember waking up one day in Hud- Oh, it's, where is it? Was it Huddersfield? It was Brig House. Brig House. Up M, Huddersfield Way. And we'd like got in a van, all of us. It was like a big group of us and we'd all go in like different vans we were always vans and we turned up at this place in Vegas. we had this party it was a really good party it was hilarious the stuff that was going on was funny and I woke up about like 10 o'clock in the morning and me and my mate at the time Penny we were like oh I'm really hungry there was nothing in the house it was one of those typical places where all they did was party and very few people ever felt that they were hungry <laughs> um, but basically I remember saying like come on let's get out let's go for a wander and we'll go and find somewhere to get an egg butty because I wanted an egg butty and then um, we wandered around for about an hour and a half before realising it was a Sunday in Brighouse <laughs> there wasn't really a city centre and it was a completely fruitless exercise yeah. but nonetheless those memories of kind of doing that and another time I can remember like going to Huddersfield this was a Huddersfield party we went to this party big warehouse rave and got back in the van and they had to drop me off at Wick's building supplies where I used to work and I had like a full-on red jumpsuit people thought I was a mechanic in it you know it was one of those kind of outfits and I kind of had to like put it on in the van and like fall out of the van and like go to work gosh you just look back at times like that how mad though that I have mates that went to a party, we partied all night, and then they drove me to work. Yeah, the thing is, though, we're talking about vans, it was everything like the, the old school raves, the warehouse parties, and the oh, raves. Oh, brilliant. Everybody used to, it would be like, someone would have a van, Yeah. so everybody would just pile in the van, you know, and it was like, you'd just rock up, and everybody would party in the van, and then you'd get out the van, you'd go, on, you know, and then just like, end up somewhere else, or you didn't use stuff like directions, or, you know, it was just like, in a warehouse, you in the middle of get, a... You used to get, a radio signal. You used to have to find a radio signal mm. and it would come across the radio. We used to have to meet at Birch Services, yeah. get the signal if you were luckier enough, try and follow somebody who looked like they actually knew where they mm. were going Pirate and you get there yeah. and you'd like hear it in the distance. Yeah. And sometimes you see lights in the distance as well because people would have proper laser yeah. effects and stuff like that. It's just a project I read today. We've just missed a rave. Have just we? Just up the road from us. No. Up on Walk- up, um, in between Holcomb Hill and, and um, where, where we're from. And uh, over the quarry, and not the quarry, but Hulk and somewhere up there. Why? Massive rave. Every can hear over Ramsbottom. It's still going on now, apparently. Well, why haven't we been able to I go to know, that? Loads of, loads of dreads in that up there, all just having it. Oh, it. that'd be so much fun. Oh, loads of people in Ramsbottom. So, what's all that music? That? All the drums. I can hear all the drums. And apparently, there's a massive sound system up there. And, and is it having it? not legal? It's totally legal. But leaving it? Absolutely le- That's illegal. That's so right? cute. Yeah. That's so fun. I can remember when I went to the first rave Got I a big ever rig went up there, to. You know? I was like, probably about 16, 17. And my friend Janie was like, there's a warehouse rave on, let's go. And it was back in the day where it really was a warehouse rave, as in an old empty warehouse, filthy, people had graffitied all over it. Somebody had set up a sound system and then boom, you're there. And we got there and I was so naive at that time. And I was like, man, 
this is the friendliest place I've <laughs> ever been. Like people were coming up to me, like dancing with me and they were giving me a hug. And I was just like, wow, I love raves. And only like a year or so later, and it really genuinely, in spite of the fact I was in that scene, I didn't realize was, that ecstasy yeah. existed. It wasn't in my mindset. I just kind of went parted with my friends. When I started driving, I drove everywhere. Yeah. So when I started to drive, I became the person who took them. And I knew there were drugs around, but E wasn't really something that had come into my frame of reference. And it was so funny looking back because I genuinely thought, oh my goodness, what an amazing eclectic group of individuals all with one soul, you know, all dancing together. And now I look back and I can see yeah. it for what it was. It was amazing, but it was definitely induced by all of that stuff that I didn't have any idea of at the time. It was a big movement, you know. It's changed a little bit now. People are uh, it's quite dangerous. Some of the stuff that's yeah. in the streets at the moment, as we've seen in the news. Terrifying. Lately. As we um, talked about last year, last you know, like regulate the drugs. Absolutely. Yeah, it's got to be. It's got to be. It's gotta, Hasn't something's it? Something's got to happen. Yeah. Um, or just testing. Or something which can be safe. We make the kids safe these days, you know, because mm. it's not going anywhere. I went and did True Jordy's podcast this week. You did? I love him. Yeah. I've got a proper, proper connection with that boy. Yeah. He's absolutely adorable. If none of the people probably listening to this probably know a lot about True Jordy because he's kind of a younger market. Obviously, you're all like 27. But if you're listening to this and you haven't found True Jordy, he's hilarious. Yes. He but also, oh my God, he's such a gorgeous human being. You know, when you just meet somebody, I said to you, I came home and I just said, I felt really warm. He's one of those men that just makes me feel like really safe and he's huge and tall and kind of gives me proper bear hugs. And you know, when you just feel like you've known somebody yeah. in a different lifetime. It happens, doesn't it? And it's really funny because I've worked with a few YouTubers and I've worked with mainstream and the truth is that when I'm with YouTubers, I always like feel this real sense of camaraderie because it's like they're real people. Yeah, they're not a bit to the trying like, uh, to portray anything. They're just being themselves. And it's like so lovely. Yeah. And I can say what they want to see. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's but it's, that's the thing for me, though. It's a little bit weird because I want to say things, but my profile in the press means that I'm always walking quite a fine line yeah. because I don't want to say things that could encourage young people to go down a path they shouldn't go down. And I don't want to offend people to the degree that I could offend them if I said certain things about my political views, for example. Yeah. But one of the things that came up, and it was a really difficult subject matter to explore and something that I kind of found myself not quite as eloquent with because I think... I know that the way I say it could be problematic. And we were talking about Tommy Robinson. Right, yeah. So he asked me whether I felt that Tommy Robinson was a racist. And if you're not from the UK, because we know we've got some lovely visitors to this podcast from completely different areas of the world, probably much sunnier. I, I've seen sort of Australia, Aust I know Australia, some yeah, New Zealand. America. I saw people, some people asking... They don't really get that much airtime with him over there. Yeah. They don't really sort of push uh, his, his rhetoric or anything over there because, you know, it's more UK-based. Yeah, so, so if uh, you haven't heard of Tommy Robinson, he's basically a guy who sets himself up as somebody who is not supportive, apparently, of the far right, although he did used to lead one of those parties. And essentially, he sits there and says that Islamic people are, to some degree, a problem, Right. And he does that in a very, very eloquent and almost sensical way that could make somebody who was not necessarily that informed or educated almost believe 
what he says is true. Mm. And what he does really very, 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 very cleverly is he says the words, I'm not a racist. Now, I was asked, is he a racist? And the truth is, no, he's not a racist because by the definition of racism, it has to be a race. And Islam is not a race. It is a religious rhetoric, it's a religious belief system. So you can't be a racist. So no, I do not believe that in his rhetoric in the narrative he talks about that he is a racist because you can't pinpoint that he's never said anything racist mm. he said things about islam however do i believe that somebody who can be so negative about islam is then perfectly okay with individuals who identify as islamic peace-loving individuals, 1.2 billion Muslims in the world, we would have a massive problem if they wanted to cause trouble for us, right? Yeah. So we're talking about a tiny minority. My worry with him is that he's very convincing, he's very pernicious, he's very insidious, he's very intelligent, and he's a great orator. Well, it's not his real name, is it, Tommy Robinson? No. He's got like a double-barrel name. So if you think about those traits, that's Hitler. Yeah, it is. That's exactly what he did. And all people, and if, and if people, all people need to do is watch World War Two in color on Netflix. Watch how he does it and what he does it, and even like the uh, any of the any of the um, documentaries on Hitler to to see how he manages to manipulate and to to mould people and to make people believe and 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 try and understand the way he is. You know, when he got locked up, he wrote Mein Kampf. You know, mm. it's like my struggle. You know, what I mean, that's what it means. And it's like, and then he he gets people on side. And he and he, he he sort of he sort of blags them in a way mm. into thinking the way that he thinks, yeah. and he's very very forthright and and or was very forthright and, and anim animated, true, yeah. and, you know, and he gets the people around him as well, the the, the people who are a little bit more easily led <coughs> to 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 understand and believe him, and then they do his sort of dirty work. Yeah, Tommy Robinson is incredibly charismatic. Well, that's that's Hitler. That's you what see. I mean. Yeah. So you, know, you look at Tommy Robinson and that's what I see. Yeah. I see somebody who has the potential to lead, but maybe not lead in the direction that the country needs. Yes. And it's that feeling when I'm talking about it that I do not want to come across as pro any terrorist, right? At the yeah. end of the day, I have issues with certain areas of Islam, like I do with all religions. Absolutely. I believe that the fact you can't change it, you I can't it, make it modern. Yeah, it's control. That's it's what, a problem. Yeah. You know, when you think about people like Dawkins, who is an absolute atheist, he says the only religion that you can argue is not dangerous is the C of E. It's the Christian C of E because it's progressive. It changes. It accepts the fact that these days homosexuals don't deserve to burn in hell. It says, you know what? It was of a time, the Bible, but... You cannot be purist. And I think that's what makes me feel that that's the safest religion. Because I think all religions are destructive to some degree. I don't think that people with faith in that religion are destructive. I just think that because of the clear division it makes, mm -hmm. it creates a boundary and a barrier. And I don't think you need that for faith. I think that faith should just be a pure relationship with what you consider your God, whatever that is, mm -hmm. whether that's a deity and being or whether it's nature, whether it's Mother Earth, whether it's none of those things, whether it's humanism, it doesn't matter. That's yours. The fact that you have to kind of create this indoctrinated perspective of what is right and wrong or who is right and wrong, that's concerning. So when he talks about the fact that there are people in the UK who want us dead, there are Muslim people in the UK who 
are disgusted by us. Mm -hmm. They find our way of life disgusting. They find me disgusting. I'm a woman of shame. Do I think there's any place for that in this country? Absolutely not. The same as if I was sitting with a guy who is a massive racist, who's white, do I think there's any place for this in this country? Absolutely not. So it comes down to the way that people treat one another. Like, I don't feel that anybody should live in the UK unless they feel connected and committed to the British experience. Mm. That doesn't mean you can't wear different clothes, doesn't mean you can't have different feelings, just that we connect with each other as human beings. We see that this is how we make a community work. That's how assimilation no, that's, works. Yeah, that's yeah, you make a community work and everybody who's part of that community can have their own sub-community. Sub but like even, each it. other. Yeah, but respect yeah, each other. Yeah. But they're a minority. And don't get me wrong, you know, you look at Tower Hamlets, you look at Luton, you look at Bradford, you look at Oldham. There are ghettos. There are ghettos, right? We need to do something about that. And that comes to collaborate with communities. But you need to have openness. So what yeah. he does, he plays on those examples, right? He plays on those examples because if you look at those examples in Bradford, 80% in certain areas which are completely Muslim, no British TV, women don't wear anything that's Western, they don't even have any food that's particularly Western, right? Yeah. That is completely separate and that makes people go, well, they don't want to live our life, right? And that's where the big Tommy Robinson rhetoric comes in yeah. because what he's saying is they don't just despise us, they refuse to have anything to do with us. However... We all miss out the fact that why do people choose to live in scenarios where they're with their own community? Firstly, because they recognize similarities. Secondly, they feel safe. Most importantly, because they feel accepted. Yeah. Now, Tommy Robinson completely exaggerates the already problematic perspectives of white, white-wing people who then reinforce the attitudes of strict Muslims, which are, we can never yeah. connect you know? Yeah. And that's a little bit like the Hasidic Jews in the UK. You have a completely separate community. Yeah. And we almost need to start saying to ourselves, if there is one thing that religion of any type should do, it should unite us all. Yeah. How I mean, can I, it divide us like this? Yeah, I mean, I've, I must admit, I've struggled with, with, with what's true and what's not true and what's, you know, how you feel about things, you know, the whole Brexit thing. You know, you do, you, you sort of question things, you know. But you just hit the nail on the head there. What you've got to do is just try and figure out how we all live together as a community. You know, whether whatever you're, you know, into. You see what Tom Robinson is, the, the people that are surrounding him, you know, all the right wings, the Nazis, the Nazi salutes. I mean, these people who are doing the Nazi salutes and, uh, you know, they have no idea what the Nazi rhetoric is. They have no idea what they're actually doing there. No. You know what I mean? No. It's like, come on. You know, if you're going to do stuff like that, at least read into it and, then, and, and have a choice on whether you're doing it or you know, and then then you're going to be shunted anyway because it's absolutely ridiculous what you're doing the death the destruction the awful things that these people the did anti-semitism the, anti the anti-traveller yeah. the anti-disabled yeah it's not just I mean, no I mean, the anti are, all the all the flipping Polish people who were murdered yeah. horribly there's a lot of anger and it's been vented in, in the wrong direction yeah, absolutely, but know. in a direction that incites more hatred on both sides yeah. so that's the irony because you see in the sort of you know the Muslim some of the Muslim population uh, and young Muslim men that wouldn't have even thought about going down that road of, of like hate against sort of uh, you know, Catholics, Christians, or Jewish people, you know, seeing the, the likes of Tommy Robinson's, you know, uh, not just Tommy Robinson, but the people who are even worse than him, the people that, uh, that, that, that don't care what they say on camera, don't care what they do to people, 
And it is going to make people hate mm. them. The thing you is, know, with Tommy Robinson, dead, dead genuinely, I think that Tommy Robinson doesn't believe he's racist, right? I really he don't believe he, he thinks that. I don't think he does. I think what he feels is that he stands for British values, right? And he stands for girls and boys who've been sexually exploited by Pakistani Asian males, which is statistically true. But that's a profile crime. We can profile paedophiles and mostly white men. You know, you can always profile. The mm. truth is that what he sees is a particular, as far as he's concerned, culture that exploits the culture that they're meant to be respecting and it makes him angry. But he can't see that if you have those views, you cannot help but group people together with those perspectives. That's like saying that every Pakistani Asian man wishes to exploit 12-year-old girls. By a far majority, that's not going to be the case. It's the opposite, same as... Most white men are not paedophiles. It's yeah. as simple as that. And what really worries me is the way that what they did, and I find this really, really strange, the biggest PR campaign he could have dreamt of was to get arrested outside that court. The well, biggest PR campaign. And I sat there and I thought, you know what? They must have known. Somebody, somebody knew that that was going to happen. Somebody knew that Tom Robinson was going to get arrested outside that court and it was all caught on live and cameras and bang where is he and all the national press and again this is sounds like I'm ranting about Tommy Robinson I'm actually not you know I don't believe that he feels he's a racist or is trying to be racist I believe he thinks he's a good man Mm. I believe he thinks he's telling the truth but from my perspective I can see how warped it is and like you said how that kind of rhetoric has led Mm. to mass genocide all over the world I mean I wish I don't know if we don't have the answers, do we? And I don't, I don't know even what my opinion is on what he could actually do. I mean, putting his, 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 his energy into something just a little bit different. There's got to be another angle for him to to do, to vent his, his frustrations. And I know politics is a whole new... Bo- I mean, I, you know, to get involved in that sort of carry-on, I mean, this isn't a political podcast in any way whatsoever, and politics is a whole different ballgame of a discussion, you know. But... Would he be? Would he be beneficial for him to go down that route instead of, but not on a, you know, a sort of right wing sort of feel to it? You know, there must be some way for him to try and, you know, would he integrate in the communities together? Mm. You know, would that be his angle? Would it be better? You know, because if he's not a racist, I know he's angry, but would it be to have them working with him? You know, because he goes on about I've got black friends, I've got Muslim friends, people who are I'm involved. Sure he you has. Know, yeah, you know. But he's got these these these, these right wings but and then these as well, Nazis all attached yeah. to him and the, and the BNP and the the old BNP they're saying they're not there anymore but they are of course they are you know it's I just think that you can identify that things are wrong but mm. you can do it in compassionate and kind ways where it can make people feel yeah. open whereas what happens these days is it's you are wrong and this is why and it's a monologue yeah. of reasoning as to why and it can almost like in a cult kind way yeah. make somebody go yeah. That makes sense, yeah, that makes sense. And I've got a girl that I used to work with. She was one of my girls, and she's got it all over her Facebook. And she may as well have a sign saying, Muslims are taking over the UK, Muslims are scum. And it's like, I sit there and I think, no, this is a girl who was absolutely adored by me. She's gorgeous and a lovely girl, right? But she comes from an estate where that rhetoric is very prevalent and it's so powerful. And the thing is, we're trying to move into a future where, of course, there's friction, right? Of course, right now, are we doing a good job as assimilation? No, we know that, right? 
but that's always been the way. There's a period of time where it happens Just and then it grows that, yeah. and changes and evolves. And I'm like, you know, the damage that we're doing now is really going to set us instead for a positive or negative future. So we have to mm. minimise the damage. And he needs to kind of recognise that instead of having that fraught, this is the way it should be, this is who we are, this is what we stand for, this is what our kids need protecting from, he needs to kind of step back and say... How can I meet the community that in this moment find me reprehensible and fearful and meet them in a way where I can understand and they can understand so somehow we can bring that together? And it's ridiculous because yeah. I can't be doing with Donald Trump. But you look at Donald Trump in politics at the moment and this guy is like trying to bring peace with Korea. Yeah. And you're sitting there and thinking... Well, now Putin's as well said, Putin, after, he you know, said afterwards. He said, once that's done, I'm open to coming and meeting with these guys now as well. You know? And you're kind of thinking to yourself, it's so ironic. I feel like we're at this bizarre moment in time where like somebody like Donald Trump that is completely odd can somehow make the world change in a positive way. It's like nothing makes sense to me at the yeah, moment. Yeah, I mean, people are saying it's on, on track if he does it. No, no, Nobel Peace Prize and stuff. But do you ever no. feel like that? Just like nothing like, says, makes sense? It doesn't make sense. I mean, is it, has he got a plan? Or is he just actually, I don't know. I know. It's like, uh, what is happening at this moment in time? Yeah. It's like, I'm just but confused. But even like the North Korean leader, Kim Jong-un, he's just suddenly gone, yeah, you know what? As you know, I've just had this uh, epiphany. I've woken up last night, I had a dream last night, and yeah. I don't want to do this anymore. I want McDonald's now. I want McDonald's in the country. I want I want you all to come and visit it. Imagine the country is apparently beautiful. You know, imagine if it opens its borders for people to go and visit tourism. The it's a whole different. It's a bit like going into a different world. The people living there won't be under oppression anymore. The you know because there's people terrified. You know it'd be you know let's just fingers crossed that the monstrosity of a man Donald Trump could actually do something for a, a good. No, no. And uh, you know. Um, he is kind of that narcissistic where he's yeah. probably sitting yeah. in his office Just thinking, going, I'm going to become the biggest peacemaker in the whole universe. They're, they're, thinking, you know they're thinking I'm going to fail. I'm going to make sure that my bloody face is carved into yeah. one of those mountains. I'm not a massive fan of Trump. You know, I don't really know much about him that much. I know he's a bit of a bellend, but you know what? If he does it, I can't knock him. No. If he brings peace to there and then with Russia and but Russia, hey, about all the global see, Russia's, warming Russia's and the be gun a big crime one. I mean, they're, they're, they're can we, can we just say on. like he's still championing guns and he's still well, championing the fact that he doesn't believe that global warming is happening yeah. let me tell you sat in my kitchen well, now global warming is here yeah. it's right here we've been living a veritable yes. summer for the past three on weeks. our round earth may I add not flat <laughs> yeah flat earthers god then <laughs> I mean, that is a whole area, isn't yeah. it, of life? If you can hear the siren in the background, we're, no, we're not in the Bronx <laughs> in the 1990s film. Um, New, Boys Jack, in the New, Hood. New Jack City. No, Boys in the Hood is in, in LA, in Compton. Oh, you're in Compton, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I'm in New Jack City with iced tea at the moment in my head. Isn't it funny, though, that flat earth stuff? Yeah, flat earth. Yeah. Our friend, uh, Mr. C, uh, Richard West from The Sherman, he. Uh, He's a good, he's a good, he's a good, he's a good, he's a good. He's a good. Well, he's, uh, ah, ah. you know, it's also there. Our friend, Richard, <laughs> yeah, great man. He, um, he torches them. He does. He does. He just what can't get his head around. What is it about people, though? What is it about people? There was a post, there was a post on one of their, um, things on Facebook, and it was like, yes, there is, uh, flat earthers like ourselves all around the globe. <laughs> you know, Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh. The thing is, though, like, 
How can you can see it from space? Yeah. You can see it. It's not like every not single. Yeah, but that's what I mean. Like the whole world. Yeah. Hey, Russia's really going to kind of go with the UK, like Donald on the front. You know, let's just pretend. Let's send some more of those weird shots. It's yeah. like, come on. Yeah. Where is the end of it? Well, it's like Terry Pratchett. Where Terry Pratchett the, used to say that. Where uh, is the <laughs> end of it? I just want to know. I have no idea. But they, you can't say the Earth is flat. Well, it's like that Australian thing we saw with that guy who talks about the ship and the front. So I'll put the link on. As again, brilliant. put a link down there. It's a brilliant. Do take some time to listen to this link because it's absolutely uh, hilarious. It's about a guy who's uh, designed a ship and the front fell off, mm. but he tours the ship. Outside the atmosphere, yeah, no, outside not, the environment. Outside the environment. Well, it's outside the environment. <laughs> Where's that? Well, it's outside the environment. No, it's not in the environment. It's been towed outside of the environment, where there's just birds and fish and twenty thousand liters of crude oil. He was snuck in. He was Australian. Can't do an Australian one. I always go Cockney. So, the point is. Where is it? The end. Surely, if you're going to have a debate about having a flat Well, let's earth, make a decision. If there's going to be an end to it, it's definitely got to be Tasmania. Why would it be off the coast of Australia? Because that's the end. Like, it's not. It'd fall off. But, well, where, but if you do, what's underneath? That's what I mean. Is it just like other roots? Like, what is it? <laughs> like, if it's, that's what I mean. How thick is it? How thick's the earth? So if you if you go under the water and you go down and you get to the sea you bed, like fall so you like if you fall drill out. if you drill through, <laughs> does out. it just fall out fall the out. end? Like do you fall out it's and then you like matter uh, forever? Like yeah, it's falling forever in nothing. Does that mean then that would it be tipping around? Would we be all like no? They just I don't think they think I think they just think it's flat when it just floats about in the air. In the, I don't. It's just bizarre. It's the thing is that some of these people are like quite mm. intelligent people. No, it's the horizon. It's like if there was a horizon, then what? What? It's so freaky. I love yeah. belief systems. They're hilarious, aren't they? Because like belief systems are things that you think you've thought of, but that none of you have ever thought of because somebody else thought of them. And then somehow along the line, <laughs> you have picked up some ideas, even when it comes down to like Bill Gates, who thought of what he did and now look at us. That was still based on the information and processing and abilities of prior men yeah. who had done that to get it to that stage. So he takes it one step further. And it's the same with like opinions. You hear an opinion, you add a little bit of an opinion above it, and then you believe the opinion. And until somebody else tells you something that makes you go, yeah, my opinion's really shit now, yeah, actually. Yeah. That was a really stupid opinion. Oh, the amount of opinions I've had throughout my life and then they've changed. Most of them probably changed when I met you. <laughs> Hello, my name's Emma Kenny and I'm the voice <laughs> of reason, Peter. I'm the voice of reason. I am the voice of reason. She is the voice of reason. That's why people say I talk common sense, as we all know. You do. That's I was having thing. this conversation earlier on, on a serious note. I was having a conversation earlier on with the radio station. They were asking me about my viewpoint on this kid who's got addicted to Fortnite. Basically, a nine-year-old kid. For any of you who don't have kids at home playing computer games, this will be so irrelevant to you. But listen, the world is slowly being taken over by a game called Fortnite. Every child under the age of 18 is on it all the time with the mates. And we have to kind of let our kids be on it. But we also do a lot of stuff like, so for example, not to like, not to like throw in here a little bit about our parenting skills and expertise, not saying that we're professionals in this area, but our kids are brilliant, but we do. <laughs> 
to batters every day, don't we? we? Do. we so we, we have a gym in the garage, which sounds very, very posh, doesn't it? But it is actually just a garage with some stuff in it. Yeah, decent stuff. I made it. I put it together. It's nice. Really on it. It's a good it's gym. It's good. It's a good gym. Yeah, it's, it's a, a double garage, so we've got, got half of it's, it's a gym. You know, we've got Olympic free weights and stuff that I, you know, saved up and bought. So it's not like, you know... Look at those muscles. Look at those muscles. Look at those muscles on both of us. Look at us. Oh, you can't see it if you're on You can't podcast. see mine because... <laughs> Um, so we are very, very proactive with our kids regarding activity. They come into the garage, they do like up to an hour at times to batters, which are bloody hard work. Yeah. Look up to batter if you don't believe us. And we do that all the time. But the rest of the time, it's homework or fortnight. Yeah. And then coming down, eating a meal with us, chilling out for a bit, then fortnight. Yeah. Two That's hours the a day down the mine. Obviously, two hours. Um, yeah, definitely. That's from three till five in the morning. Absolutely. <laughs> but then... They were talking to me about this kid who basically is nine years old. She's the first person on the NHS to be treated for yeah, fortnight so, addiction. Yeah, she weed herself, didn't she? Yeah, but we're like, come on. This is not a fortnight addiction. This is a developmentally challenged child. Yeah. Who has been allowed to build such a time frame that she has become immersed in the world of fortnight. Yeah, and nine years old as well. You know, it's, what are you doing? That's parenting. Yeah, it's parenting issue, that. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And you're kind of sitting there and I said well, to didn't them, she, she? And there was a urine stained cushion she was sat on. And it's like, well, I'm sorry, but that's like, shouldn't you be doing something about... The fact that she shouldn't have been sat there Why are you not speaking with your children? That? Like, why are you not having your children off the Yeah, yeah, I judge you. I judge you, woman. I judge you, mother. Yeah, I'm sorry. And I, I'm not I a judgy person, to, but I yeah, judge you, mother. I think I have to judge you. Your yeah. problem... Yeah. Get your ass into gear. Start looking after your kids properly. That's the yeah. fact. I'm almost Judge Judy. That's how much I'm I judging. I know, but her. it just absolutely drives me mad. And so they were saying, like, do you think it could be addictive? It's like, listen, an addict will find a way to be addicted. Somebody who's looking for something, craving something, needing something, they'll find it. Some find religion, which isn't too destructive, unless you end up blowing yourself up, well, for I know example. Well, people that have been addicts, and, you know, and, like, to, to, to heroin and stuff, and... They actually have said, you know, they have an addictive personality. It's actually not real an addictive personality. No, no, just no, 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 yeah, but the, the, I know what you're saying. I'm not going to yeah. take that away they'll from you. They'll stop doing that's it anyway, the and then they will start drinking. Yeah, so and that's will the be, term. Yeah, and then they'll have start, you know, and then they'll. I know the guys that have done that, and then, then got really into sort of like sociable side of drugs to stop the drinking, and really got heavily into that. Not addicted, but the addicted wanting to do it all the time. And then I've seen the guys and all of a sudden get fully into fitness. They've been heroin addicts and they've got, and they are massively into it or massively into like sort of cars and become addicted. You know, this is the, not addiction, but it's like, you know, it's, it's talk, like a, need, it's like a similar thing to like the, the, the religion thing we were talking earlier about the fundamentalists, the people that get, because uh, we, we've been to church before and we've seen, you know, yeah, individuals. Yeah, we're cool with the big G.O.D. Yeah, five years we've to get seen individuals the, uh, and Five get, years to get into yeah. the church school. You get them though, that get, you know, it's like, when you get into something, your hobby, but mm. you get really into it. Yeah. And I mean, severely into it. Almost like a bit obsessed. It. Yeah. yeah. Like obsessed you with music. Yeah. People go to church and get really into it. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah music. I've been, I mean, I've, yeah. I've actually gone through life getting into lots yeah. of things. I, I got into But you're uh, like a Garfield, positive. The you're like I was a... right into that. Michael Jackson. I was fully into Michael Jackson. I immersed myself into Michael Jackson. <laughs> Posters, yeah. All the way through in the background was Star Wars. I was listening to that. <laughs> you know, when the Goonies came out, I watched the Goonies. Fuck me, for about, for about three years, I thought I was a Goonie. <laughs> you know, I was in, I was in fourth year junior. I can so remember that kind of <laughs> feeling when you play games. You think, what character yeah. are we going to be today? Breakdancer. I was always a breakdancer. <laughs> went to the pictures of the Odeon in Middlesbrough, watched breakdance. Uh, I went back and watched Boogaloo. I got breakdance too, electric Boogaloo. But I tell you what, <laughs> as soon as it had finished, 
We were out at the front and we were we were popping. We were, you know, we were like, we, were pop, we thought we were in the bloody America, you know, it was brilliant. <laughs> but I immersed myself in that. I was one of those kids that did everything, and, you know, but I was into it massively. But you had you know. a boundary. Uh, yes. That's the difference. It's like, I gave the example to that woman before. I was like, look, you can put 100 people in a room with loads of heroin and only a couple of them might take it. One might say, oh, it's all right. I don't want to leave. Don't want to touch it again. Two might say, I'm completely addicted, right? One might get off it quite quickly because they realize it's destructive and one, it absolutely ruins their life, right? Mm. It's about what is missing. What is fundamentally missing in your life? What is fundamentally missing in your being that needs to be addressed? Mm. Find that out. That means that you won't need to be an addict. Again, I have got one of those compulsive, impulsive personalities, you know. Like, I have a stamina that... I think Russian shot putters would be jealous of. I mm. genuinely think that, and you know that about me. I've got an incredible tolerance. Like, but like tolerance, a man, full stop. Weightlifting man, not just a man, because that's quite sort of sex, but you lift like you've got the strength of a bear. But the tolerance level yeah, oh, God, for me yeah, yeah. is big. Yeah. So I'm somebody who, in the past, like if I had had the option to become what we consider addicted, it would have happened. Mm. What I realise is that all the things I do are internalised and I process things and figure things out and wonder why. So like a period of time when Pam was really, really, really sick, I drank vodka all the time, you know, obviously in moderation, yeah. obviously not when I was driving. But if I came home after being with her and she'd been so sick and so ill and she was dying and I was my best mate, I would just like swig a load of vodka yeah. and go to sleep yeah. and it was only when I realized that that pattern isn't fundamentally a way of coping with my grief that I was like right time to let go of that time to say goodbye to that that's so fundamentally I can't therefore be in a position where something's missing in me I was reacting to that time frame mm. but I certainly didn't continue reacting to that time frame and I can have a drink without thinking I've got to go and have another drink and another drink and another yeah. drink and another drink that isn't to say that there aren't days where I'll want a drink and I'll have more than I usually do but it's rare and it's never an actual compulsion anymore it's not to avoid anything it might just be that we're having a barbecue and I have one too many G&Ts or whatever but it's that sense genuinely of knowing that boundary. And that's the thing with our kids and the difference between our kids and that kid. <clears throat> they have a completely varied lifestyle. They have a diverse experience. They're like connected to us. We have lots of fun. We have such a blast, don't we? Oh, we do. Yeah. I mean, the kids are just like... I wish I could have more kids. I know. It's so hard. Honestly, if you listen to this... And you don't know a lot about me because I don't know how it works with podcasts. You might just find this one. But if you've listened to previous ones, you'll know that one of my struggles has been infertility. And, you know, amen to the fact that I've got two boys that are absolutely amazing. But unfortunately, me and Pete haven't been able to have our own children. We've had several miscarriages. But the consequence of that is that we're still, even though I'm getting on a little bit, still always hoping that mm. this month will be the month where we find out that actually that we've managed it. Because I don't have an ability to ovulate very effectively. So it's really, really difficult. And at my age, actually, it's really rare to get pregnant anyway. So the odds are against us. But it's due to the fact that I've just had such a blast being a mum. Like, it's just been such a blast. It's like a hilarious comedy living in my house, isn't it? It is. Got... I, I don't know what people talk about when they talk about, like, anxiety and stress and worrying about the future for the kids. I'm just like, man, I've got the future penned out, you know? If they just want to stay at home forever, I'll feed them and I'll clothe them and I'll love them and I'll look after them and I'll make them feel safe, right? There's no need for mm. me to stress because I am always going to be here. And actually, even when they were 40, I would think it was 
brilliant yeah. if they were still chilling with me. Absolutely. But I mean, sometimes, not sometimes, but I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a believer that, you know, lead by example as well. Um, yeah. You know, we, they see us sort of working, doing things, and but then family time, doing things together, you know, let them have the time that they want to have time, you know, it's and, and try and guide them as like, yeah. as a parent should, you know, and, and let them make little mistakes. But then, yeah. in my opinion or your opinion, yeah. and what, you know, and... and they won't listen to us quite a lot of time. And then when they'll come back and go, I should have listened to you, you know, yeah. but I think that's... Right now, they always listen. Yeah. At 15 I, and 13, they always listen. I agree, listen. I mean... I was talk, talking... Sorry, I was going to interrupt you there. Terribly. Right. I was talking to Tide because yesterday I did an extra spot Adam Pete because Tide wanted to do two yesterday, two like full sessions of them. So I went back, didn't I, and did yeah. it because Pete had been working like mercilessly in the garden yeah. like for days. Just call me, I'm just calling me... Uh, Percy Thrower. Yeah. And so basically I went in and we were chatting and I said to him, we're talking about drugs and emotions and young people. And he was saying that he's really proud of his friend Alex because Alex has started to get really motivated. And he's saying that he keeps saying to me, you're doing really well, Alex. It's really good to see you rising. And I'm listening and I'm thinking, man, at 15 years old, he's that voice. You know, he's cool. He's got a great personality. He's really funny. He's really bright. He's really beautiful. He's really intelligent. He's just <laughs> gorgeous in every single way but more than anything he's just so kind and compassionate and my other son is as well but he's the example at the moment because that's the kid who's talking to me about it and he's going on I'm just like I'm sitting there and I'm thinking oh god I am so proud of your being I'm so proud of your being and nobody's ever going to tell me that you're anything but amazing and you'll find your way whether you make it as a doctor or don't make it as a doctor and I just said to him do you think you'll ever take drugs tied I said you know do you ever think about that and he was like nah he said I genuinely don't think I'm really into that one he said I've never smoked weed because of my asthma he said but at the end of the day I really think that when it comes down to drugs today you can't really be sure and can't really be safe and he said I do feel happy in my life and yeah. I said well you know I'm here and always talk to me about it you'll never be judged your dad will never judge you either but remember that if you drop an E what you thought was happy will alter forever happiness will be this new sense of joy and with that that normal feeling of being sad it's way lower on the chart all of a sudden. Yeah. That, to me, is one of the things that I think people should have that honest conversation with people because yeah. you don't realise how it alters your understanding of emotional yeah, but reflex. Because you're living in this middle of it, you see, right. and, and being able to change the, the, right. the balance of, dro of, of, of yeah. dopamine, serotonin yeah. and stuff like that always has a reaction. Well, it's just, the yin and the yang. Just of not even that, in, though. You know. Think about it in a much more simple place. If all I've ever known is this is hot and then somebody says, no, this isn't, it's scalding, yeah. then the freezing feels far colder. Yeah. Because you've got a scale that's yeah. bigger. See, that's why you get a lot of, uh, you know, the mental health issues and stuff like that. Because people I mean, I'm not anti-drugs at all. It's, as you know, absolutely legalate, regulate, mm. and make sure it was safe. And that's what I'd like. We were talking about that. Because yeah. I was saying then, at least I'd know if you wanted to try to drop an E or take an acid or whatever. But then it's out there. Then there's go more in, talking about it. You could get it tested. Yeah. Absolutely. And I wouldn't have to worry about it's it. It's not on the bloody black market. There's yeah. no dark web stuff going on. There's no, you know, it's I just know. the tax and the money, the gangs, the violence, the prostitution of bloody everything you know yeah, that's another insane. one brothels should be legalized really as well you know what i mean and yeah. and, and kept that safe that's a whole different podcast you, I mean, know? you are allowed like places like yeah brothels. but i mean it needs to be you know as long as they're not on the streets you're allowed yeah. it people are allowed massage parlors with extras it's known facts you know yeah. it's not an issue yeah, it's, it's better true. than curb crawling i agree yeah, yeah. it's a strange one safe, though isn't, isn't it? it safe there's so many things at the moment that I feel 
are really weird. Mm. Like I've had loads of text messages and about from friends, parents, parents of, of kids who were friends and I've had things online and everybody's so sad about the GCSEs at the moment. And honestly, right, I just wondered what was going on because I've got Tide, who's now 15, is going into his GCSE final year yeah, next year. Yeah. So obviously I'm a little bit interested. I'm not massively interested because I don't really want to increase my anxiety or anything because of course Tide wants to be a bloody doctor. So he can't just go and get a job doing things where you can get C's. He has to go straight for the bloody A ones. And we were like kind of talking to different people about this and all their kids are just coming out devastated. And I spoke to my sister the other day. I am not joking you, right? It's mental. Mm. The education system is so mental. It's absolutely insane. No kid from a normal environment or an environment with less than is going to thrive in that system. It's like based on whether you can remember everything. It's insane. I would fail everything. Yeah. I would be absolutely rubbish. Unless you could draw everything. Then I'd probably fail everything as well. I'd definitely fail everything if we're drawing it. Like a five-year-old with webbed hands. I I was pretty good at... Creative writing, you know, stories and stuff. You well, you've got a great imagination, you know, kid. I, I reckon I could come up with some good stuff now. Yeah, yeah, you've got a good imagination for exaggeration. Oh. <laughs> so you'd be a great creative yeah, writer. Absolutely, I was. I mean, I actually, in third year junior, which is year whatever it is, the makeup now, you know what I mean? Um, third year junior, I wrote a short book. I wrote a small book. I still have it somewhere. I saw it. You've seen Your it. Your mum showed the it Illustrations and everything. And it was the journey, the space journey or something. And I just made it up as I went along. And it was brilliant. I, I had like names s- of like, names of like alien <laughs> animals, like the schnop groblet and the flang bangle and the humblong and like even just noises, you know, the flink bing and the birdie. You know what I mean? And I had a dog that disappeared like a quarter of the way <laughs> in the book. It disappeared. And I thought, Don't shit, I better bring the back. I bring the better bring the space dog back. And like, as near the end, I was like, and then all of a sudden, my space dog appeared. I go, oh, where have you been, you little bastard? You know what I mean? Can't <laughs> believe he turned up again, you know. But I obviously, the continuity of the of the story had to be there. People would be like, where's his space dog gone? But yeah, I wrote a book. Yeah. I love that. I was never that judicious in uh, my in my studies oh, at all. Man, I was like, I just wanted to like, I had like, I, I designed space vehicles, but like. Actually, did the full blueprints of them. I remember getting once when I was in my, wouldn't have been the very first, probably the third year of infants. So like, you know, when you're going before junior one, but Mrs. Cantor, she was just like the nicest yeah, teacher. Yeah, third year infants, so you have first, second, third year infants, first, second, third, fourth year junior. That's right. Then first, second, third, fourth, fifth senior. Yeah, so I who, was in, Who made the bloody, you know... I was know, in the third year infant, when, yes. I've been there a couple of years. It was recorder playing and all of that. And Mrs. Cantor used to bring like sweets every single Friday. We would be given sweets. And it was only like a chocolate lime or something, but it was so big. And then one day I'd done this particular bit of writing my writing was terrible but I was quite good with my imagination Mm. and it was for the school magazine and I got chosen for the school magazine she had to rewrite it for me in her writing because they couldn't tell it but she could tell it because she was used to me and I'm heavily dyslexic and as a child that was very very evident in my writing but she did it for me and it got in the school magazine and then one day she came in and she was like Emma Janet and there's a girl in my class called Janet and we kind of were like yeah and she's like the headmistress would like to see you and like I knew it wasn't going to be bad because obviously I hadn't done anything bad but I didn't know why I was going and I got there and she said hand me a book Miss Cullen she was called she's a lovely woman and she stamped the school stamp in it and signed it, and it was like the highest level of achievement. No was that like a Britain's stamp. Got Talent straight through the it's final amazing. thing? Amazing, and you know what? It's so 
amazing because there's that at my primary school there's lots of things that kind of stick with me with my education but I was mercilessly bullied in junior two by a teacher when I say mercilessly bullied I mean he destroyed me at every opportunity and it got so bad that my mum came in and basically that's a young age to be it was I can't tell you how awful it was he was absolutely horrible there was nothing and I got from being not a confident child because as you know I suffered from tics and really Mm. difficult kind of stress and anxiety and I was in his year and it would be the way I sat it would be the way I moved my hair it would be the way I ticked it would be my sound of my voice it would be my writing wasn't fast enough and it was everything. And it got to just the point where... Just boot him around the playground. I couldn't eat. <laughs> I couldn't eat at all. My mum and dad were really worried about me. So my mum wrote into school and said, Emma needs to come home in the dinner hour just to give me a break. Mm. And they refused it. He refused it. He wouldn't allow it to happen, even though it could have happened. And Sounds like a very odd man. In the end, my mum went in. Mr Pritchard. Mm. In the end, my mum went in and she absolutely floored yeah. him. So and if said, you're listening to Mr Pritchard... I hope you've got... Well, this is the really weird thing, right? So then, that was like about seven or eight months I'd been mercilessly bullied by him. It was awful. I lost all my confidence. And then, like, after my mum did that, he started to try to be nice to me. So, like, it started to feel a little bit easier. And then, at the end of the year, there was a merit certificate that each year the best merit certificate Mm. went out. And I can remember sitting in assembly and every time this merit award was announced, he would turn around and smile at me. And I was like, oh, Mr. Pritchard's smiling at me. And I won. Mm. And he put me forward for it, and I won it. And it's really weird, because even though that was probably just down to the fact that he wanted to make amends publicly with me, for a child, Mm. it made everything okay. Yeah, I felt like he didn't hate me anymore, and I felt like I wasn't a bad kid anymore. And that genuine moment was utter forgiveness for me. Yeah. And it's so strange how those moments influence your me. life. No, no, you still batter him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mr. Pritchard, Mr. Pritchard, I'm going to find you. Yeah. I've got a certain uh, set of skills. <laughs> yeah, and I will. I've got a protractor. Yeah. I've got a pencil sharpener. And I've got a syringe full of syphilis. <laughs> it's a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> we'll say goodbye. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Join us next week for another Making Sense of It.